Welcome to Tech Writer Voices, a podcast for technical writers. Thanks for joining us at Tech Writer Voices. That was my six-year-old daughter, Avery, who introduced the show today. We have a great interview today with Rick Stone, who is one of the most passionate people about RoboHelp that I think I've encountered. And he's going to review RoboHelp 6, talk about some of the features and, and evaluate it and give his opinion. And But before we get into that, I just have a couple of announcements. First, I'm going to be getting a co-host on the show. I'm really excited about this. Heidi Hansen from Seattle will be joining us in some upcoming episodes. So uh, we're going to have a more conversational, shorter format, present a variety of viewpoints, so it should be good. Second announcement is, if you haven't heard about the documentation and training conference in Vancouver that's coming up, you should definitely check it out. It's going to be in Vancouver, British Columbia, and the theme is going to be on the user experience. The conference will feature sessions and workshops that help technical communication professionals improve the usefulness of the information products they create. And I'm actually going to be presenting at that conference, speaking about the usability of blogs. So you can check that out at at uh, doctrain.com. It'll be in April. And now more to the topic of RoboHelp. When Adobe released RoboHelp 6, they really touched off a hot debate. And this debate reached its most interesting exchange at monkeypi.net, which is a blog. Somebody, uh, the author of MonkeyPI is still anonymous, but uh, this person kind of gave an unfavorable review of RoboHub 6, calling it craptastic. And it was a really interesting post. And uh, I know Rick and some others had some exchanges and, and they uh, traded viewpoints, so it was really interesting. And uh, it's definitely one of the most controversial software products right now out there. Uh, so I couldn't just ignore it with, with Tech Writer Voices. I wanted to do some kind of show on it. So I asked Rick, who was speaking about RoboHelp in Jerusalem, or not Jerusalem, Israel somewhere, I don't know where. And uh, I thought he would be a good person to interview just because he's one of the people who really loves RoboHelp and who's really uh, ardent about it. So with that, let's turn to the interview. Rick, before we get started, can you just tell me, uh, are you a technical communicator? What kind of work do you do, and do you use RoboHelp a lot in your job? Uh, yeah, actually, at this point in, in my career, if you will, well, what I spend my time doing is training people how to use RoboHelp as well as Captivate. But uh, I did use RoboHelp for a number of years. I started using it back in 1992, um, Used that off and on, well, you know, pretty much extensively up until around 2000, and was kind of forced out of the game and, and eventually quit a company uh, to go work using RoboHelp again. <laughs> Got a job as a tech writer for a small software company for about a year and a half, and then was invited back to the company I originally started with, and I used RoboHelp in a different manner than probably most people do. And, and the way that I used it was for reference material for a call center. So I never really came at it from the aspect of, you know, a person that's a technical writer, you know, and developing help for a software application. 
uh, most of the experience I had with it was using it to deliver information in an online format that's used as reference information in and of itself just kind of as an application. Hmm, that's interesting. So how's that for a million-dollar answer? For <laughs> well, I can tell that you've definitely done a lot of research on all the files and what they do. You created the this extensive help about how to customize the skin and things like that. Mm-hmm. Now, what is it that you like best about RoboHelp if, as a tool? Ah, uh, shoot. For me, it's just you know, it's just so darn easy to use. Uh, it, everything is pretty much intuitive. At least it is from my standpoint. Now I don't know if you know everyone that would approach it would see it that way, but uh, it's always seemed very intuitive to me. Now I have to admit that you know I stepped away from the the whole, and I'm sure you're aware that there's two what I'd refer to as Robo flavors. You know, the Robo help for word interface, where you use word as your authoring environment, and then there's the RoboHelp HTML interface. And I moved away from RoboHelp for Word uh, long before 2000, so everything I've been dealing with since that time has been RoboHelp HTML. Now, I'd like to talk about a few of the new features that are there, and I want you to give us your opinion on them. Uh, Tell us whether you think some of these enhancements are, are worthwhile, or if they're insignificant, or if they're good or bad. And the first one I'm sure you're gonna you're gonna like though is the integration with Captivate. What do you think of that? I'm really pleased that that it seems to integrate well with Captivate, uh, the new version. Uh, I know initially when we started testing it, I was a bit disappointed, at least with X5 and the way that you know when the new Captivate 2 came out, because there are different files involved, and of course you know there was no way for RoboHelp to know some of them were needed, so it didn't bring them in cleanly. One of the things that uh, it, it does not do as well as I would like <laughs> is that you can launch Captivate from within RoboHelp. Now, I've never used it that way, but I did test it, and it doesn't seem to do that very well. They need some work in that area. But I think it's a, a great thing that, that it will integrate with Captivate and at least pull in the content that you've created using Captivate. I would not recommend it ever for anyone to launch Captivate from inside a RoboHelp because it just doesn't seem to work. Now, they also added a screen capture program. Why did they do this, and and what's the impact? Uh, As for the whys, (laughs) you've got me. Uh, The screen capture program is is kind of, uh, well, they had RoboScreen Capture for a long time. Now, I don't know whether that ever hit public domain or or what. Uh, My friend Peter Grange, who I was with in Israel, was telling me that in the U.K. they were giving it away for a period of time uh, with some of the magazines, the computer magazines out there, uh, just as a a CD that you would uh, find inside the packaging. So I don't really know what the history is of RoboScreen Capture. I've never been... I have to, to be right up front with you here and admit that I've always been a fan of Snagit. Uh, that one is just really hard to beat, in my opinion. But I, I think the fact that they are offering RoboScreen Capture is a good thing. Uh, it does do most of what Snagit will, from what I see and what I've played with of it. Uh, I'm still hard to convert from Snagit. Uh, Peter's totally sold on the RoboScreen Capture, but... Uh, I'm still a hard sell from Snagit. I just think, you know, they've done a super job with that one. Yeah, I use Snagit, too, and I, I like it a lot. Now, what about the variables uh, that they've added? 
Uh, what do you want to know about them? Well, actually, I'm a little curious about this. I was reading some of the some of the release features of of RoboHelp that were planned to come out when it was still under Macromedia, like long before that. And I noticed that variables were one of them. So I'm actually a little curious if they're just recycling old code that had already been created, or is this something new? Well, as far as the variables go, well, actually, pretty much all the features, I was unaware. Uh, it, it seems odd to say that you know, you're unaware of something being you know, part of the MVP team, but they did play their cards very close to the vest, and, and quite often, until we would actually see a beta, we were totally unaware of any new features that were going to be included. So I can't say for certain with authority whether variables were there or not, whether they were planned, how much work had been put into them prior to you know, the code being handed off to Macromedia and then Adobe. But uh, they, they seem to work well for what I see and play with. As far as though whether they were planned, I think the next version back when eHelp held the reins was called, uh, you know, those funny little internal names, Malibu, I think. But uh, as for the feature set on that, I wouldn't have a clue. <laughs> All right. Let's look at the PDF support. I noticed they've now included Adobe Acrobat elements in there. Um, is that a, a benefit that, that you find or what? I think probably, <laughs> you know, Adobe's kind of the ones that, that hold the total key for PDF, right? So I think the fact they're including elements is, is a big step forward for RoboHelp users. I don't think RoboPDF ever really worked quite as well as people had hoped. I know certainly there were some issues. And I think the fact that Elements is part of the package is going to speak well for RoboHelp and its integration. Now, as I understand it, if you have, I'm not even sure what Acrobat version it's up to now. I believe it's uh, what, 6 or 7, maybe even version 8. But uh, I believe if you have Acrobat, you know, the full-blown version of 7 or possibly 8, again, I don't keep up with Acrobat, uh, RoboHelp will work with it instead. As you're installing it, it senses that and, you know, declines to install elements. You know, I've always been curious about the inclusion of the PDF because when I export my documentation to a printed output, it's never ready to automatically be PDF'd. I have to clean it up. I have to fix numbering. I have to. I have new styles that I want to apply. You know, for me, I think the PDF just is like a, a nice little addition, but I, not something I would use. Do you have to clean up your stuff when you export it to printed documentation, or is that not something that you that you have to do a lot? I have always avoided printed documentation. Uh, personally, you'll find that if you ever monitor the forums... I will avoid the printed documentation questions. Mr. Peter Grange has is, is always been the one that stepped up to the plate for that. Uh, the world that I came from, printed documentation was what we moved away from. Now, I do understand there is a need for it in the world. Um, the brief period, you know, the year and a half that I spent as a technical writer, I was given a mandate to produce mainly online help moving away from printed docs and only give them enough paper just to get the stuff installed and from there everything would be online. Now they did take a change of approach down the road from that just based on customer feedback. But that's a whole story in and of itself. 
I'm, I'm probably the worst person in the world to ask about printed documentation. You know, to me, it's called online help for you know <laughs> the reasons. Yeah, d- definitely, it's it's a much stronger application when you're trying to produce online help than when you're trying to export it. Yeah. yeah, I've heard a lot of, of criticism um, about RoboHelp's ability to, to create printed docs. From what I see and what I might do of it, you know, it seems to work for me. But then again, I'm not hugely into it. So what did you talk about in your presentation in Israel at the, the Tech Shoret conference? Uh, basically, initially, I introduced the, the features of RoboHelp 6, gave them a brief demo and a rundown of the variables, the new conditional build tags, you know, talking about all the different features. Uh, of course, not at any great length. It was more of just a kind of a glazing over. Just pulled it up, showed them the screens, different things that they could do with it. One of the one of these things we didn't touch on yet is the command line compilation. Mm-hmm. Can you explain exactly what that is and why a user might want to compile from the command line? Uh, from a personal standpoint, command line compilation has never big, been big for me. However, I do understand there's a big need for it for certain aspects of uh, development. One of the things that uh, will be useful, or people will find useful, is that uh, a lot of people like to basically kind of check files into source control, something like that, and then not have to have RoboHelp open, and the developers will pull and extract what they need out of the source control system and and basically build their application. And as I understand it, a lot of people want the ability to build RoboHelp, you know, their help files based on a command line without having to open the application. So I think that's going to be a good benefit for those that use it. Again, how prevalent that is is totally beyond me. But uh, I see that, you know, that's been asked about off and on frequently through the forums and, and the forum activity that I've seen over the years. Now, you closely monitor the, the forums. What what are some of the most frequently asked questions that people are always asking about with RoboHelp? Hmm. <laughs> well, you've probably heard of airplane help. I'm guessing. Uh, actually, uh, no. <laughs> okay. Well, one of the the more common questions that, that we would see in the forums would be, uh, I'm trying to open the help system that ships with RoboHelp, and for some reason I'm getting a blank screen. Well, eHelp came up with this little nifty thing called Airplane Help, and it's described that way because the way it's set up is web help is basically produced, and the application points at the web help for the help system. And in the event that the web help can't be reached, then it reverts to an offline help system, one that's in a compiled chum installed locally. And that would be the case, certainly, if you were flying on an airplane and you had no Internet connection, hence the term airplane help. And usually when that happens, I'll kind of jokingly say that the the airplane crashed. So (laughs) you kind of point them toward the offline help and things start working and they're happy. That's probably the biggest question we see, or the most common. Uh, not so much anymore, but it used to be a big one, was the fact that the help system would try to open uh, an Internet connection. And that typically happened when they forgot to include and ship the HHActiveX DLL file. And that one's needed for support of your browse sequences, the uh, glossary tab, and oh, I always called it the funky little web search icon. 
I have another question here. Now, Adobe has outsourced all of their development for RoboHelp to India, correct? Or at least the majority of it. Do you think that puts them at a disadvantage? I think that's a big trend all over the place, not just with Adobe. I mean, uh, in 2004, I and my wife both lost our jobs due to outsourcing. So I, I don't think it's limited strictly to Adobe. I, I, how good or bad it is, um, well, certainly it, it doesn't bode well for the people here that lose their jobs. <laughs> but I don't know. Uh, on one hand, I could see where some would take the view that you know you've got people that are inexperienced with the code, and you know maybe mistakes are going to be made. Um, you've certainly got the time difference going on, and and just the factors that that come into play with trying to manage people at a distance. But on the other hand, uh, you know you might see some innovation. Maybe they don't feel you know constrained or limited by you know maybe they take a different viewpoint on, well, you know, the, the code has always been done this way. Maybe they'll find new approaches and new ways to do things. So I see it both as a possible good, possible bad. Uh, I think a lot of that just kind of remains to be seen, and I think that varies from company to company. Some people criticize Adobe as not putting much effort into further development but just doing a little fix and continuing with little fixes to lengthen the life of the product without significant enhancements. What's your opinion of that criticism? Uh, personally, I was tickled pink to hear that you know they were going to continue to develop RoboHelp. Um, certainly, when Macromedia entered the picture, I totally felt you know when I heard the news that the development staff had been laid off and. All that I really truly felt that RoboHelp was a dead product. Now, it still worked, and, and I saw a lot of you know people kind of scrambling and oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And wringing their hands. But uh, I, I really sincerely thought at that point that you know Flare was the way to go because that's where the development staff that had the RoboHelp experience had went you know to the Madcap and formed their own company. So I think the fact that, that Adobe sees some value in it is, is a good thing and certainly bodes well for the product. Now, I think it remains to be seen. You know, to me, they've got me sold because they've expressed interest. You know, Macromedia took the product and said, okay, let's just milk it and let it die. And, and Adobe apparently sees value in it. So Do you, uh, I'm taking the wait-and-see approach. An optimistic no, I, one. <laughs> Do you have any kind of conjectures or, or guesses as to why Macromedia took, or sorry, why Adobe took an interest in in uh, keeping the product alive? Mm, well, that's a tough one. I, I don't know that I would. Um, I mean, we, man, when I say we, I mean collectively the the group of former eHelp MVPs. Uh, Macromedia team, Macromedia, you know, the, the group that's been closely associated with supporting this product in the forums, we've had to kind of redevelop inroads that, that were lost when, when the whole handoff occurred from eHelp to Macromedia, Macromedia to Adobe. We're working with a whole new team of, of people that, that don't know us from Adam, and so they, they seem to be at least initially unaware that the MVP group or the uh, community expert group was uh, worth, worthy of listening to. 
Rick, I'm curious. What what's what are the benefits of being part of that MVP or the the community experts that that support this product? What, why do they do it? Uh, there are certain aspects of it that uh, well. <laughs> I'm not going to name any names or anything, but uh, certain members will always take the the time to point out, you know, we're unpaid em- employees essentially because we are doing a lot of support in your forums. Uh, one of the benefits is that you do get software packages. Uh, you get, I'm I'm assuming this is a good thing for most people, you know, visibility with you know a little bio and stuff on their site. Uh, for me, the main benefit is just the ability to, to help other users and to help shape a product, you know, and, and try to make it more useful. All right. Now I've got a, a big question here for you. Yeah, okay. Can, can you compare RoboHelp with Flare and give us your impressions and opinions? As I understand it, Flare is in its second revision now. Uh I have to admit that straight up front, uh, I was highly interested in, in the first, you know, before we ever saw the first release of Flare. So I don't know that, that I would be fair in comparing anything with, with RoboHelp and Flare at this point because after having beta tested the first round of, of Flare, I kind of fell away from it and, and haven't looked at it much since. I, I just have some ideas of, based off of what my experiences were then, which could have changed. So I don't know that it would be a fair assessment to make. All right. Uh, one of my colleagues asked me to put this question to you. He wants to know how you do context-sensitive help with RoboHelp in a web application. How I would do it or how it can be done? How it can be done. Okay. There's a couple of different ways. Uh, one way is to, to utilize something called the map IDs within RoboHelp, and that's something that, that the help developer and the application developer would have to certainly coordinate with. Uh, the developer, of course, would have to have his own little unique identifiers, and then you pull in the map ID file and, and assign those using RoboHelp. That's certainly one approach you can take, and, and in that approach, you would define certainly your, your web help window, and I think a lot of people get confused there because they see the ability. They define a web help window, and then they're greatly confused because it doesn't show up when they just generically display their web help because all that has to go through their, their web help, their context-sensitive uh, CSH API for web help. The other way that can be done is with simple URLs. And essentially, you just figure out what the URL is going to be to the topic you want to display. And you can simply point at just the topic, or you can display that topic within the context of its web help frame set using a special special coding as far as the uh, URL goes. Typically, it's pretty easy to map. You just point at the topic, and you'll get a little show link at the top, assuming you've enabled that option. And the minute you click the show link, it pops itself inside the frame set. And if you're displaying the address bar, you just copy that address, and that's the one you would use. All right. Thanks, Rick. Sure. Uh, one more question here. Adobe started a, a RoboHelp blog. Uh, what do you think of that? Uh, it's going to be a wait-and-see thing. It looks pretty sparse at the moment. It looks like there's only three entries to me so far. Uh, it's going to be... Uh, again, kind of a wait and see how useful or how much information they put into it. 
but it is uh, rather limited at this point. I don't know when they started that. I guess, uh, what, maybe about a week before they deployed? I'm not sure. I think they started it yeah, about a week and a half ago. You know, I was really excited to see the blog because it opens up the communication with the development team. Uh, but I've posted a comment, and I've seen other comments posted, and the guy hasn't responded yet. So I don't know what the delay is for or if he just doesn't know how to respond or, or what he's allowed to say or what. So it, it will be an interesting thing. I think definitely if you, if you start a blog and you have comments enabled and people ask questions, you have to respond at some point. Otherwise, it just will, will be bad rather than good. But But it's definitely a move in the right direction. I think too, though uh, I'm not sure. Don't quote. <laughs> well, I was saying, don't quote me on this on a podcast. Uh, I believe that the person doing the blog is is located possibly in in India, but I'm not sure. So yeah, I, if that's I the case, you've got so. this whole huge time difference thing going on too. But again, that that's you know <laughs> that really shouldn't factor into ability to respond. So I'm not really sure what's going on with that. Oh, I actually have another question here. That wasn't my final one. Do you think RoboHelp can be used as a true single sourcing tool? They put a lot of well, they put some work into the conditional tagging. It made it easier to exclude topics and see at the topic level what's excluded, what's not. I mean, what do you think about RoboHelp as as the single sourcing tool? Hmm. Boy, that that's getting into. <laughs> Almost the area where some people, you know, pick up viewpoints uh, along the lines of religion and government and politics and all that good stuff. Uh, from my standpoint, in the way I would use it, I would call it a single source application, and, and it would certainly accomplish what I would want to accomplish with it. However, I do understand and realize there are other people that, that do take a, a more narrow viewpoint on that, and, and they don't believe it to be a true single sourcing tool. Again, you know, you mentioned earlier uh, tweaking documents and stuff for printed output. Certainly, if, if you've got a lot of that going on, RoboHelp doesn't do what you want, then then it, it wouldn't, in my opinion, fall into the category of a true single sourcing tool because to me, if I think about that, that means that you, know, you really have little to no extra involvement in, in creating the output you need. So if it's not really meeting that need, then it's not truly a, a single sourcing tool for you. So I think the answer to that, it, it, it's kind of like, you know, which religion is right for me? Uh, it's the one that works for you. So certainly from my standpoint, it would be a, a, a single sourcing tool uh, from somebody else. They may not believe it to be so. All right. Is there any question that I haven't asked you that you want to respond to or any closing thoughts that haven't touched upon? Mm, not that I can think of. Well, thanks for, for uh, being on the podcast and for answering all these questions. I appreciate your time, Rick. Sure. Nice talking to you. You've been listening to Tech Writer Voices or on the web at techwritervoices.com. As always, if you have a comment, Send it to me at tom at techwritervoices.com. You can also email Rick. His email and contact info is in the show notes, as well as the link to the Monkey PI blog that I referenced earlier. Finally, I would like to do an upcoming show on wikis, specifically using wikis to write your documentation. 
and getting other people on your project team to edit, comment, and otherwise contribute to the wiki. So if you know a lot about wikis or if you know somebody who does, give me an email at tom at techwritervoices.com and maybe we could do a show on that. All right, see you next time.